0: Liberty listeners, here we are again for another weekly session. Love getting together with you guys every week. And this time we have Rachel Brown of Rachel Brown Art. And so excited to listen to, from beginning to end, somebody who has really created um, a sustainable uh, business as an artist, something that I don't think we hear enough of Um, or enough people, enough artists have really figured out how to do that. So we're excited to have you, Rachel. Thanks for being on with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, So why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about your background, what you maybe did... From, I think, your school, you went to school, you studied art, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe start from there. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I was, um, let's start from the very beginning. Oh, let's I do. So mom and dad <laughs> um, yeah. kissed. At yeah.
0: 1244 a.m. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: born and raised in Central Missouri on a farm. And you um, say Missouri
0: and you're mm-hmm. from there. You don't say Missouri. My dad says Missouri. Okay. okay. Just clarification yeah. Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Mi- Missouri okay.
1: Um, My mom was my art teacher from kindergarten until senior year and was always super nurturing. Um, I was never really encouraged to be a fine artist, but I was always encouraged to be creative and I had a lot of freedom in that even when she was teaching uh, me in grade school, she kind of let me do my own thing and it was enough support and encouragement, but also a lot of freedom um, in exploring my creativity. So, and grandma was a folk painter as well. She oh painted my gosh, those so... boards and like Santa Clauses that you sell at hobby yes. fairs. So she was, she was a working artist. She did it to, it, that was her extra kind of play money is what she did. And then she also had a, uh, puffy was... paint sweatshirt.
0: Yes, she did. Yes, she did. And she uh-huh. sold the <laughs>
1: market. So she was really the first entrepreneur in a way that I, that I saw selling, selling things she actually made and, and making money off.
0: Of it. So you said something interesting. You said I, my parents, or maybe you didn't mm-hmm. view art as your future, your career, yeah. but just, you know, to, to be creative and to dabble in different things. When yeah. did that transition for you? Um, when did you start thinking about, Hmm, I think I want to do this.
1: Yeah. It was when I moved out here. Actually, I had been doing graphic design um, and I had explored other routes to bring in money uh, creatively. My degree is in art education, Mm -hmm. and then I actually wanted to be more hands-on, so I started doing graphic design, and even still sitting behind a computer, that wasn't enough for me. Um, So my dream, obviously, I wanted to be an artist, but I didn't know how to go about doing that, and I also didn't have any um, people close to me that I saw that were doing that. So I think when you don't see a specific example, you don't really know that it's possible. Um, And when I moved out to California... Um, I saw people doing it. I went to the Beverly Hills Art Fair and I saw artists, and they graciously talked to me and told me, you know, their journeys. And once I saw people actually living their dream, then I realized it, it was possible. possible. Too. Yeah. So
0: okay. um, you moved out to California for what reason then? If you had, if you weren't uh, an artist at that point? Yeah, I fell in love with it.
1: Um, I the reason I ended up out here yeah. in the first place. I was supposed to do a. Tandem kayak race um, from St. Louis to Kansas City. Of course, you Julie. were, <laughs> <laughs> you know, casual casual kayak race, and it got flooded out. The Missouri River actually overflowed, and we had to postpone all of that. And so she had, she had a week off work, and I had a week blocked off as well. So we said, let's do a road trip somewhere, and then we decided on San Francisco to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to leave California. I kept extending my trip longer and longer. I ended up staying out here over three weeks. Um, Wow. And I ended up in LA the longest. And I went to Mosaic, which is the church that I go to now. Mm -hmm. I'd heard a little blurb about on the radio back home. And met the creative director there, who invited me to an artist retreat. And at that retreat is where I met um, pretty much all my close friends now. At this retreat, and then within six months, I had moved out here. Wow. So,
0: and was the idea when you were moving out here that I'm going to pursue art? I, yeah, I knew that. I didn't know what, what in from. what form. I actually,
1: um, met with a makeup artist out here. Oh my gosh. When I first so, moved out yeah. here because that was a route that I was open to doing or set design. When I did the artist retreat, I went, I did the fashion track. Um, so it was a little all over the board. I knew I was creative and I knew I liked having my hands and stuff, but I did not, um, identify as a painter.
0: So what, when did that happen for you? Because you're such a paint. I mean, I guess because I know you now, I can't imagine you as anything else. But when did that, what clicked for you? Um, I
1: had brought a whole bunch of stuff to Melrose trading post, which mm-hmm. is a flea market. And I had brought home goods that I'd made. I'd sewed pillows. It was a whole bunch of different home goods stuff yeah. that I had. And the only pieces that sold were the art. Um, and so, and what
0: were they? Were they it, it was a
1: photograph that I'd taken mm-hmm. of a man in Nicaragua. It was a black and white photograph, and I'd done painting over the top of it. And then it was a porcupine that I'd painted, and then a koala bear that I'd made and done like a gold crown kind of random yeah. on. And those yeah. are the three pieces that sold the first time I ever did a flea market, kind of a pop-up. So I was like, okay, enough with the vases and the all the random knickknacks that I had made. And so the next time I sold at Melrose, I just brought art and it was for Mother's Day weekend. And so I did flowers and feathers and I set up these clothes pins, um, or like mm-hmm. a clothesline between two yeah. ladders. And that was my first real art setup yeah. at the flea market. And I remember, um, a lady coming to my booth and she grabbed from the feathers and she was like, can I cuss on here? Yeah, she said, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" <laughs> like, you like it, and then I just got a lot of encouragement from that day, and I think I made like two hundred and fifty dollars. And I remember calling my mom, and be like, "I can do this. I'm rich." that wow. point, I was like, "I'm rich." Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I sold I sold two hundred dollars with a vert and I was so excited to strangers. And yeah, again,
0: was, not to mom and grandma, but yeah. to people who.
1: that was validating for me and enough encouragement. um, And that I use Melrose Trading Post as it's the best market research because people, they can tell you, your friends can tell you, I love that. That's amazing all day. But if strangers are buying, you know that, you know that they like it. And then, so I would tweak and then I would ask customers like, what do you, what do you want? What are you looking for? And then I would bring it back the next week. And so that's how I started doing commission work is having people come back to the market next week and pick up their paintings.
0: And was there something that you became known for or was kind of an identify? I know now what that is with the kind of your... It's the animals, but it's also... There's this almost ethnic-y vibe to some of your... more contemporary pieces, maybe you can describe it better yeah. than I can. But was there something back then that was like, that's Rachel Brown. That is a Rachel Brown. It was
1: um, animals. Yeah. So I did animal portraits um, is what I loved doing. And that's also um, what sold. And then I started working with a designer named Holly Westoff, and she commissioned the first ostrich um, that I ever did. And then I remember she posted on Instagram and mm-hmm. people loved it. And so I started creating more of those. And, um, then the reason I started doing the tribal and the abstract is because I didn't want people to walk into my booth and get overwhelmed by all the animals, yeah. be known as like the weird animal. Oh, she only does animals. So I started mixing in, um, abstract pieces as well, just because it looked, it made my booth look better.
0: Yeah. And they all work together. I mean, they all seem to be able to complement one another. So go back to that Instagram piece before I knew who you were, I had seen that ostrich and it was, you know, I didn't make the connections. And then there was a designer that we had both worked with. Uh Um, she's a client and you had worked with, which is Kirsten Blazek. So it was like all of these worlds were coming together. what Was it about that ostrich that you think captured the attention of so many people, including somebody who's a stage, a stager and wanted to have that ostrich in a room? What could, can you figure out what it was about that? Is it just, it didn't exist?
1: Um, I, I hadn't seen anything that existed like that before. And I think that, um, it really did come from authentic place and I was making it, um, I may have told you this story before. When I, where I grew up, there was an ostrich um, that lived. It was on the neighboring farm next mm-hmm. to ours. And I remember seeing it, and it was really out of place. Being in rural Missouri, it was too tall. It didn't really fit in in its surroundings. And I identified with that. And I was oh, like, wow. that's me. I'm the I, I'm ostrich. kind of like the awkward ostrich that really kind of feels out of place here. And um, that's when I started painting those on Topinga. And I think that people... Um, we all, if we're honest, kind of feel like outsiders at some times mm-hmm. in our lives and mm-hmm. there's a freedom and just embracing that and being like, yeah, I'm kind of a weirdo and I embrace my quirks. And I think that's what I've heard people say when they see the ostrich. They're like, it makes me smile and it makes me, yeah. Feel okay to be weird and feel different. Yeah.
0: Oh, so. uh, that there, yeah, it definitely hit some sort of nerve because, and now I feel like I see it all the time. Like, Oh, I saw it in, I think, was it bizarre? Magazine did a piece. Um, the sheep was in there. Oh, the sheep. Yeah. Okay. Sheep yeah. Was in there and- So go back really quickly to, you had said, um, you had mentioned a name you started working with, um, Holly Westhoff. Yeah. And tell me who Holly is and how that's connected Um, to you. she was a designer that I met at Melrose Trading Post Mm -hmm. and she's become a really good
1: friend of mine now, but she worked with Kelly Wurstler and then eventually started her own company as well. And she was, um... She is, I think everyone should have a Holly West around them at all times. Cause she's brutally honest. Mm-hmm. And at first she kind of uh, caught me off guard cause I was like, you're not nice, but she yeah. actually is. She's really, really nice. Yeah. She's just very, very honest. And it's really refreshing. She helped me really fine tune a lot of my art and she would say, I, I don't think my customers would like this. I want this. She was very specific in what she wanted. And always honest and never afraid to speak the truth. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: And she was, her role is an art buyer. She's an interior designer. She's an interior designer. So she was looking for things for her clients. Yeah. So she could tell you what to do that would land in a particular client's home or just in general like I think this is something that you need to create or stop doing that it's not working or whatever
1: yeah and she still to this day sends me pictures that she loves and our aesthetic isn't exactly the same but I like that because she gets me out of my box she's more mid-century modern Mm -hmm. very very girly um but I really respect her opinion
0: that's and, and how early
1: on did you meet her? Really early on? She was one of the first she was the first interior designer that I ever worked with and I met her at the.
0: And I office. can imagine having an interior designer, not just mm-hmm. a, a passerby, but an interior yeah. designer stop and really appreciate your work must have really meant something because that's somebody who has a developed eye. Absolutely. That's not just somebody who has a weird taste in sheep, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was very, very, very affirming that I wasn't, um, I was painting things that I loved to do and it Uh was affirming that somebody that had a good eye also liked them and wanted to place them in homes.
0: And you said something earlier that I wanted to tap into sort of selfishly, but you said I had never seen people become working artists Mm -hmm. like that wasn't I mean your grandmother to some degree yeah but you hadn't really seen that to model it or had it modeled Mm -hmm. for you and I think one of the things that um one of the reasons that liberty exists is to show women what's possible so that they can create their own possible right to share stories so they can create their own who ended up being that for you? Not necessarily by name, but was there someone along the way where you're like, that's it. She's a working artist. She's selling her product. She's able to be prolific because I think that's one yeah. way I describe you as an artist. Was, was that ever modeled for you in those early years?
1: Um, I did. I remember seeing an artist named Andy Andy Anha um, at Hills Art Fair, and he he's fairly controversial in the art Mm-hmm. circuit because he does mass produce his art and he has mm-hmm. other people working with him um, mm-hmm. and he has lower price points than most everything that's out there but his stuff is beautiful and it's a lot of first time home buyers buy from him um, and he is able to sustain it and he's done this for a long time and he's to me he was a man that I saw. As he has a business side, Tim, and he's also an artist and he's been able to do it really, really well. Which,
0: that's a, thank you, you just set up my next question. But that's one of the most um, unique things about you. I I know you, we've been on a trip to Africa together, Mm -hmm. we're friends. Um, But it's how you seem to have both the creative and the business side. And they're not mutually exclusive by any Mm -hmm. stretch, but you seem to have them in equal parts. Uh, you're creative. We're in your beautiful studio. I'm looking at a lot of your work right now, but I feel like everything's intentional. I feel like everything you do is, uh, even if it's creatively intentional, there's something behind it. You're going somewhere. You see a direction for yourself. And the reason I asked if you'd seen that modeled is because you are, I see that so much in you. Uh, do you think that was something you developed or is that like a skill you learned as a child, like how to be creative and how to be sort of bootstrappy? Um,
1: I was always interested in entrepreneurs, even as a kid. And mm-hmm. I was always starting little businesses as a kid, selling Fimo clay bracelets. And I set up a little restaurant in our basement yeah. where everything was served with ice cream. Yeah. It was called a la mode.
0: You could, it could be in the ice cream museum right now, exactly. which is totally sold out. So, yeah. So, I always was attracted to
1: that. Um, and I have an uncle that's a successful entrepreneur, and I always really admired him. Um, and I, I always thought that they were mutually exclusive. I didn't know that you could you be could a business that. person and an artist. I thought it was kind of one or the other. So, I kind of I ruled out being a business person because I was creative and I wasn't great at math and I didn't love school. So I had kind of lied to myself and said, oh, that's not really your, that's not, that's really not your for thing. me. Stick to being creative. But in order to sustain being an artist, understand the business side is necessary. And I used to kind of view it as a necessary evil that I didn't really love it. And now I've gotten to where I really, really enjoy it. I enjoy learning. I read ink and Orbs and I love understanding yeah. that world more. Um and it yeah, it's it's evolved over. Well time and for
0: there. you it's a it would be a distinguishing factor as an artist because a lot of artists don't enjoy that world. So yeah. it's like how do you get in front of people that they might not perhaps think they need to get in front of? Because you're coming at it from a slightly different angle and it doesn't yeah. diminish in any way from your art or your creativity or the honesty in which you Put that art or creativity forth and I hear in artists sometimes it's like if I ask them about their marketing strategy mm-hmm. or something like oh you know like you've said this really ugly yeah. thing and I often have said how is that going to exist how are you going to survive how can you continue to create art if you haven't found a way to do it and make a living if you 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 can no longer put forth the thing you were created to put forth Absolutely. Like there's, there's a soul <laughs> yeah. piece to it, right? There is. So for yeah. you, what, what was that? Like, I have to do this in order just to live. Cause there's something about you that's very like, um, I don't want to say, uh, It very all about business. Like we're going to mm-hmm. get it. You're a getter done yeah. kind of person. So. Did you develop that as a kid where you always, you talked about you were creative and the ice cream piece and the entrepreneur thing, but what about just that, like, I'm going to make this work?
1: Yeah, I think it was, um, to be honest, out of necessity. I mean, I was raised, my mom's a school teacher and my dad worked for a gas company and we didn't have a lot of money. And I was raised from a very early age, if you want to do fun things, if you want to travel and you're going to have to get it, get a job. (laughs) I always say get a job kid. And so I started working. Um, I worked in cornfields, um, cross pollinating when I was 15 and lifeguard and taught water aerobics and worked at a pizza store and did, I learned from an early age that if you want to have these experiences, you're going to need to work for it. And so living in LA, it's not a cheap place to live. Um, and I am (laughs) not independently wealthy (laughs) outside of my art. So I was, in a way, like forced to make, to work. make yeah. it work if I wanted to keep doing what I love, and I think that's the best. That's the best way to to figure it out is kind of. I mean, get getting thrown into the fire of if
0: I don't learn how to sell my work, yeah. <laughs>
1: you're not I'm forced not gonna, to do that. I'm not you're not going to be able to do
0: this. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to talk about since we're kind of getting to some of the the businessy side of your mm-hmm. art. Uh, I'm going to talk about money for a second. Yeah. I hope that's cool. Um, how much of your income, cause you have now both original pieces mm-hmm. and you've started to print pieces and somebody called it a piano, but even I knew it was a printer. <laughs> um, there's a massive printer here in your studio. How much of your income, you don't need to be specific, just per, by yeah. percentage is coming from original work and how much of it is coming from reprinted work, which uh, they look amazing. I mean, you almost have to touch it before you know that it's a, a print. Um, and was that part of the plan? like I want to create so many originals and then I'm going to create these reprints that I can sell at a lower price point or I can just just to reproduce so I'm, I'm doing less of the original work yeah. what's the percentage? Um, generally turn into this you know, right now it's about eighty percent is
1: prints and about twenty percent is still originals okay. um, that I'm doing and I had to look that up before because I oh, yes yeah. so like, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so yeah, it's about 80%. And for me, it was, I was burning myself out, cranking out originals. And to be honest, the quality was suffering too, because I was, you know, trying to reach, reach deadlines and just churning, churning, churning. And I was losing, um, the love for what I was doing. And I felt, I felt like a factory and it, that did not feel good. I was grateful for having lots of work, but I figured I needed to come up with a way that would give me freedom as well. Um, and create originals that are high quality and price them higher yeah. and then still have geclays available for people that love the art but don't have the budget for original art. And
0: so you're using a fancy term, geclay. Mm-hmm. What does that actually mean? What is the process of creating that print?
1: Yeah, it's um, so in most, most printers, um, there's laser um, or like inkjet. And laser is just like a one pass and that gives really like a flat look to it, but it's quick. So most like mm-hmm. Xerox machines and stuff are okay. laser. And then inkjet, usually it's a four printer system, CMYK. And this one's 11 Oh wow. printer. It's 11 different colors that it's using to create the piece. So it can get really rich tones. And with watercolor, especially, there's so many variations in the tones sure. and the subtle colors and When I was outsourcing this before, um, a lot of companies, when they reproduce, they'll miss like the grays will be one flat gray and the beauty and watercolor is like that there's nine nine different shades of gray within one splatter. And I was really,
0: really, um, specific about wanting a printer that did that. That's cool. Okay. So we know what we're getting when we get something like that. Yeah. And what's the price differentiation? So as an artist, you decided, and I'm hoping that artists who listen to this Mm -hmm. will say, okay, so she created for two different markets, perhaps, one that's more high-end, that's the original, Mm -hmm. and let's say I'm just going to use a flat round number. Let's say that's a a $1,000. I know that your stuff Mm -hmm. goes for more than that, but for $1,000. But then um, a print is... $250? $250? Like what's the difference in, in um, between those two? Yeah. Generally? I price
1: my originals based off the time that I put in them okay. and that's what I do right now. Like I know what I want to make in a day and if a painting takes me three days to do, that's what I price it at. So I can, I have some originals that are just yeah. a couple layers. They're really quick. They're almost a sketch Type so it's not based myself. on size. It's, it's literally not. based on how much size work you and put into a it. little bit as far mm-hmm. as materials go. Mm-hmm. And then but it's mostly based off of time because especially with watercolor, it's all about the layers. So my bestseller Tina is she takes forever because she's super hairy and all the hair in there takes so much longer. Right. Tina's so the ostrich she's she's an alpaca.
0: Uh, alpaca okay. yes yeah, even yeah, if
1: she's smaller, say so she's yeah. two foot by two foot, she still takes longer than a five foot wide series of flamingos. Okay.
0: Okay. So again, for those listening, I love that you've put math, you've put a formula Mm -hmm. to it. There's a day rate. How much does it take me to create this? What are the materials that I need to use? Mm -hmm. And I love the day rate. I don't know that a lot of artists think of themselves in in that or think of how they price things in that way. So that's a super helpful tip. You've already given us a tip before we got to the (laughs) tip section. And then for your uh, prints, the same, do you use the same similar formula? Just notch it down a level? Um not with time wise.
1: Okay. Um, I don't. I keep those consistent. and those okay. are all based off of um, the material, whether it's uh, watercolor paper or printed on canvas. okay, and then the size. okay and those are all. If you were to get a eighteen by twenty four buffalo, it would be the same price as an eighteen by twenty four alpaca. Okay. So it's that because the time is already done in that. Um, it takes the same amount of time to print it.
0: Sure. And you've made that money on the original. Exactly. Supposedly. So going back to something that you said that I thought was pretty genius, um, you talked about the 2080 Mm -hmm. and that you were burning out on creating all these independent pieces and that Mm -hmm. it was affecting your work. And I think a lot of artists don't want to do prints because they think somehow, no, I don't want to sell out or I need everything to be original. But in essence, you actually created more freedom for yourself to be Mm -hmm. more creative and you protected creatively. You protected yourself by having boundaries around how much was going to influence you or in your case, again, uh, burn you out. It's like, no, I'm going to protect this. And the create, the pieces I create, uh, in that 20% are going to be sort of amazing and brilliant. And then the reprints are, I can, I can replicate that brilliance over and over again rather than watering down everything and just saying, yeah, I only do originals. Yes. So I think there's something interesting, a new twist, a new way for artists to think about what does it mean when you start to invite something like reprints or, um, in any way mass producing your art. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know I, if other artists have identified that, that in you, but.
1: It's, I mean, every artist, what they're wanting to get out of their art is so different. And I, I mean, there's artists, there's art that should confront and they, it creates Mm -hmm. a cultural dialogue around something controversial and that's great. My art, I like making my art to make other people happy. And if I make somebody smile and it brightens their day, that's what I want to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And if I can get my art in more hands. That is what my goal is, and there's a lot of artists that would rather sell one big piece for a million dollars, yeah, <laughs> once once a year or once every yeah. couple years, and or
0: it'll sit on a gallery wall, and that's not that's not the goal. That's for not you. the goal for me. No. Where would so. you want to see yourself with your art in five years?
1: Um, I want to keep going uh, with the commercial route. I think we'll talk about this eventually, but the hotel um, that I got to work on, I loved doing that and I want to do more boutique hotels um, and it's I just love that process of working with designers and creating a whole collection basically that's sure. housed in a permanent home that new people get to see every day <clears throat> and I do think that that's kind of I mean that's I would rather be in that
0: scenario than sitting in a gallery okay so because, more commercial opportunities so let's talk about yeah. that because that was the major um opportunity and how did it come? Did you intend? So the opportunity was that you got into this pretty um, well-known hotel mm-hmm. and the company, the design company that hired you does commercial work. How did you meet them? How did that come to be? And was that intentional? Were you like, I'm going to, if I could do one commercial job, mm-hmm. first of all, I'm going to make a lot more money. It's a bl- more bang for my buck. Yeah. Um, or was it just it happened and you went with the flow and then all of a sudden you're like okay I guess I guess I'm here now and how do I duplicate that? Definitely more of the latter. I had no
1: idea what I was even stepping into. I met um, Leslie Kale at um, who's a designer with Studio mm-hmm. Collective, mm-hmm. one of the partners in um, Santa Monica. Uh, right? In Santa Monica, mm-hmm. yeah, I met her at Melrose Trading Post. It was a rainy day and I was getting ready to break down actually, but then I. Real, I'm here. I'm not just gonna break stay down set. like having an no, emotional. Not, not, not emotionally. I was <laughs> gonna break. break down here. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Break down my booth and go home because so most everyone had gone home that day because it was drizzly drizzly day. And they stepped in my booth and bought a feather and said, "We work with an interior design group. Um, we have a project we think you might be good for. We'll reach out." And in L.A., I mean that happens. Like, yeah. You're all, like all okay. Okay. Call, cool. call me. Yeah. 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 Got it. So about a year went by, um, and I got an email from her again. She said, Hey, we met you with the trading post. Um, we'd love to work with you. And initially they'd ordered one feather to go behind the concierge desk and then one llama mm-hmm. and I got them to them pretty quickly. And then we just started vibing and it turned into, um, I did ev- all the art for the hotel, um, except for two pieces. Can you mention the, the hotel? Interviews. Uh, it's called the Lansby mm-hmm. Inn in Solvang. Yeah and um it was about 180 original pieces for the hotel um and it was a risk cuz i cleared my schedule hoping that i was going to get the which is the what bit, kind of basically. schedule do you
0: clear for 180 um, originals
1: yeah i didn't okay. sign up for art fairs um and that's how i'd been making my income okay. but i knew i couldn't do both so yeah. it was a gamble to clear my schedule not knowing for sure if they were going to approve what I would submitted, um, but it was really, really, really fun working with them, and the pieces evolved as we went. Now, my best sellers are the ones with black backgrounds, mm-hmm. and those, they had me do those because they didn't want to get fingerprints from the guests on uh-huh. the white background pieces, so just stuff that I hadn't, that I wouldn't have ever oh, that's thought funny. of came out of doing that project. How did and you, but, as an
0: artist uh, <laughs> who starting out, how did you have them pay you did you have them pay you anything up front because often when you're working with designers like that on a commercial project you don't get paid until the end yeah
1: they um were really kind and they paid me half up front oh, nice. um just because I mean I didn't have a lot of extra money yeah. at that point especially and they paid me half up front and then paid the rest um upon delivery so it was a 50 percent deposit is what and what did that do for your business um it In addition to, obviously, that initial boost of just Mm -hmm. having money push me from being in survival mode to actually being able to have a little savings and really invest in better equipment and ultimately get a studio Um, because now people stay at the hotel and then they contact me to buy the pieces that are there. In fact, I was with
0: you one time when somebody was like, I know your piece. (laughs) I saw it at a hotel with my husband do you remember this? No. It was, where was that? It was that? Hannah. Um, it was at the Africa night. Um,
1: and then she yeah. ended up buying
0: a piece. Yep. Because she was like, oh, I can't wait to take this home and show yeah. him. It's from our hotel, which is really funny. So yeah. people are connected in that way.
1: They are. And most people, when they go away to a hotel, they have a pleasant experience. It's, sure. It's linked to either like a romantic getaway or a friend's wedding or a girl's weekend. And they have a positive experience at the hotel and they want to take that with them with when them. they go home. And so, my art is a really easy way for them to incorporate that feeling into their home once they once they get back so
0: so so that was a big deal for you in terms yeah. of how it changed everything. Have you and you started to talk about wanting to do more commercial work? Mm-hmm. Is there sort of a plan of okay, in order to do more commercial work, I really need to create a portfolio that goes just to designers who do commercial yeah. work. Is that something that you've been working on? That or?
1: is the summer's okay. uh, game plan. So I've started right now creating a list um, and just finding contact information
0: for... Yeah, um, which is no easy task. Yeah. No, it's yeah. not.
1: But Instagram is where I find I find hotels that I like and then I've been tracking down the designers for who did that and getting my website ready to show the variety of work that I can do. So it's not just animals, but I really can do abstract and lots of different Right. types of art for them. So, and now having the geclay printer, I am actually set up to be able to handle large orders. And at that time when I started the Lansby, I wasn't. So that's why I did all the originals. Um,
0: and that's not necessary for commercial work. They don't necessarily want originals. No. Or, okay. Yeah. Not, I mean, for especially
1: th- for larger product, pro- yeah. this was a 50 room hotel. So they, were able to
0: do that. And they had a budget for that, but not every hotel could do that. Does. And why would they? Yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't they choose that? Yeah. So this, I don't mean in any way as a dig, but it's just so clear from talking to you about yeah. all the different things you've done so far and the way that you've grown your business as an artist. Um, but you seem to be, I mean, you're a true millennial by age, mm-hmm. and you seem to have a slightly different uh approach work ethic approach and I say I don't mean it as a dig because I think millennials have really raised the conversation about what it means to have boundaries and what it means to have a like work-life balance and I really appreciate that but there's something a little old school about your work ethic I mean I heard you say um before we started the podcast to somebody from your studio like I'll be here all night Mm-hmm. What is what do you and I'm not saying that that's great to you know yeah. be somewhere all night yeah. either, but it's just something that I don't see a lot. Um, It feels like it's more like my generation of that's what you that's just what you thought you had to yeah. do. Where does that come from? Is that a Missouri thing? Is that a cross pollination? Whatever. <laughs> what, what is that?
1: I think it probably is. I was I mean ingrained with a good work ethic from day one. My mom came from a dairy farm upbringing, Mm -hmm. which is super intense. (laughs) I mean, up at four 30 to milk the cows. And my dad was also a farm kid as well. And so I didn't really have an option. Um, and I think, I mean, that was so instilled me from a young age that, and I actually realized too, when I'm working, um, I'm a super active person. I'm working on something that I love. I'm really happy. So when I'm it's, working yeah. all night, this is actually like my favorite night. When I get when yeah. I my calendar is clear and I just get to work on what I love, that's so fun for me. Um, but I also I love to play too. So I work in bursts, and I like and you having play well on you the calendar. travel <laughs> yeah. and you yeah. It's for me when I um, am traveling, I know that I've in a way earned it, mm-hmm. and that's probably the upbringing that I have too. But when I'm when I have all my work done and I know that all my ducks are in a row back home at
0: the studio, then I really enjoy my travels more. So, and yeah. it's probably important for you to do that just to get inspired, to get out of your head as an artist and stop creating or recreating similar things. Absolutely, but to see new things. Yeah, travel. I'm sure for
1: most artists would say this, but it's like oxygen for me. And yeah. I, I work in order to be able to travel. And I tra- my travel inspires my work.
0: Yeah. So. I feel the same way. And I, I mean, I'm creative from a business point of view, but I'm not yeah. a, a creative in the more traditional like artists point of view. Yeah. And I feel the same way that I need to be like, I need a new set of eyes and I need to mm-hmm. be refreshed and see new things. And so I, I totally get the, yeah. the importance of that. And speaking mm-hmm. of traveling. So I had mentioned at some point we went on a social impact project mm-hmm. to Africa together what um, what was important to you as an artist, or why was it important to you as an artist to really kind of extend yourself? You could have, let me ask it this way. You could have sold art and given a portion of proceeds to the Artisan Center in Mozambique, which is something that you're supporting. Um, but instead, you chose to actually, <clears throat> excuse me, you chose to actually take your art and train other people how to create their own art why was that important for you um
1: we touched on this a little bit in the project reach interview yeah. but um I wanted to actually bring people in because of the dignity that comes from actually creating um, their own work right um, I didn't want to just hand out money back to other artists and, you know I don't think that that is true empowerment but if I actually work with them and train them to do their own art as well. That's the ultimate for me getting, getting to share my gift and in turn teaching them how to create their own art
0: and and income. And I had heard you say that uh, you would love to go back and actually see them create their own pieces and kind of hear from them. So have it be coming from their point of view, not necessarily your vantage point. Absolutely. That was because we were very limited on time. We had, uh, two
1: days, essentially, to do training and then actual creation. Um, and so we were <clears> – <throat> it was very art-directed, uh, what we actually made. But my dream is to go back and just put materials out. And, and I think that's what where the magic do. happens is just having no rules, no parameters, and just getting to play. Yeah. Um, and that's when the best stuff happens. But
0: what's cool about the, the way that you did do it intentionally or otherwise is you've created sustainable work for them. So now when you yeah. go back and there's – it's, it's for play and we don't, you don't necessarily know what's going to sell or not sell. It's not at, at the cost of creating something that's going to give them an income. You've been Absolutely. able to do both. Play is a luxury, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think. And, um, but I think it
1: is a necessary yeah. luxury as well. And now that we do have the sustainability piece in place over there, um, I would feel like I'm still Getting meaning out of being there as yeah. well—that we're okay. We have the business piece in place now. Let's and now we can play. do this. Yeah, right. And see what and, comes from it. And without the, there's not as much risk. Yeah, because we already know because we've supported that. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's cool. Um, so again, a lot of the people listening are women who want to pursue being artists, or whether it's because they want to sort of monetize a hobby, or they want to go mm-hmm. all the way like you and make this their full-time career. Are there any sort of, um, would you advise a woman who's listening? Well, actually, let me wait, let me, let's, let's flip to more of the tips and resources Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of getting all we can out of your brain as an artist Mm -hmm. uh, where you can sort of give some, some, um, some experience, wisdom, feedback to these women, Do you have any recommendations for a woman who wants to sort of, again, monetize her art? Like Mm -hmm. she wants to do something on Etsy or somebody who wants to go full blown in terms of resources around framing, resources around places to sell your art, resources around um, maybe a list of shows to sell at. You've talked a lot about how many shows you do, and that's really what sustained you. Anything there that you can offer up for Yeah. I would say um this is very broad
1: but I'll narrow it down. Just getting your art out there physically, um, in person interactions with people. I think the markets are so 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 valuable. Whether in LA we have unique LA Mm -hmm. is a huge one, the Melrose Trading Post, the Pasadena Flea Market, the Beverly Hills Art Fair. Mm -hmm. There's constantly in Southern California we have so many options. And actually getting it out in front of a real human and not relying solely on Etsy because Etsy is you can be fairly anonymous and most people what differentiates you is you
0: absolutely and so yeah. for them to
1: actually meet the maker and hear your story is I I think that's necessary for you to stand out amongst all the hand lettering and all the watercolor painters yeah. and that's that's what's helped me stand out I think is that I've actually been out with real people.
0: Are there shows that you've done that you're like, I wouldn't do this again based on the crowd that comes like, is some of understanding that circuit, just understanding what you're selling? Does that aesthetic have an audience there? Like, did you go visit them before? Yeah. You signed I, up? I okay. do
1: recommend going um, before you, cause they can be expensive. I do recommend going out and actually talking with the artists that are there and seeing if you, if you can picture your art actually there before you sign up for it.
0: And that's probably both the aesthetic Mm -hmm. and the price point. Like, does that, can that audience afford your art? If you're doing something that's, um, you know, that has a younger crowd, can you afford to be selling a $5,000 piece? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, And if you do, I mean, the best way to try that too is to have my first few shows, I had really, really expensive stuff. And then I also had the lower price point prints as well. And you see what sells. I've had prints where I've sold zero or shows where I've sold zero originals and only sold prints because the market that was there is younger people that wanted cash and carry items. Um, and then I've had other shows that were pretty much only originals because that's what the the market, it's an older clientele that wouldn't even think about putting a print in their home, but they want an original. So you can, it's the best way to gauge your market. Yeah. Is and check it.
0: Were there any the shows, shows that you said, oh, this is going to be great for me? And then... No, it wasn't as great um, as I I've thought.
1: Had, <clears throat> I haven't quite figured out a pattern yet because, mm-hmm. especially the outdoor shows, it can depend on the weather or if there's something else that's coinciding um, with that weekend. So my advice would be to don't rule a show out just because you don't have a good show that weekend. Right. I mean, you it, you the first Mel was getting posted, I sold three, three paintings, and I think I lost money from the setup, but if I would have stopped at that show... Just then, I wouldn't have, I mean, opened all the doors that I have.
0: So I how many opened.
1: years of doing shows? Um, I have done them now for four years. Okay. And this is the first year that I'm, I'm only doing a few. Okay. Um, they are physically exhausting. They are 100% worth it, and I recommend any artist that's just getting started to do
0: that. Um, most of my business has shifted online. You said that was four years, uh-huh. so I, I have a rule of thumb that say yes for the first three years and then transition yes. and start to be more selective. That's so, so good. Thank you. So validated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it is true. Um, so every person listening is probably idealized the studio that we're in, mm-hmm. the work that you get to do, that you're up, you know, in your cute little denim situation, <laughs> like painting away give us like, what is the day to day? What do you, are you always painting? No, because no. we just heard the 20, mm-hmm. 80 thing. So what is a day in the life?
1: Yeah. The days that I actually get to paint are, it's like a party in here. I don't look at my cell phone. I have music blaring. I have all my food here, but then I don't leave. And that's probably what my art looks so happy is because I'm really happy when I just get to paint. And that's usually, I mean, it's a couple days a week that it looks like that, but the rest of the time is, um, it's filling orders. It's packaging things to ship. It's, I mean, ordering supplies. It's not super glamorous. I mean, the day to day is not glamorous all the time. You on Instagram, it's easy to look at it and say, Oh, it's the highlight reel every day. Yeah. The reality is uh, it's not, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, um, opportunity is often missed because it's dressed like overalls.
0: Oh, that's good. <laughs> and that's
1: that good. that the reality is majority of the time in here it's dressed in overalls and like one day a week, maybe as a free people floral dress. Yeah. Just <laughs> <that's> getting photographed <laughs> on Instagram. But the rest of it is like it's gritty and it's hard work and but I I love that process as well.
0: So Yeah. And I think we've heard so many people say, just make sure you're doing what you love. Mm-hmm. We always have to sort of remind ourselves. As well as remind those listening that that doesn't mean that we're doing something we love every minute of no. every day. It just means that overall, the thing that we're pursuing or the difference that we're making or the things or the people that we're affecting yeah. are, are something that we love. Yeah. Um, so thanks for the overalls thing. We'll definitely yes. have that quote show up somewhere. <laughs> um So one of the things that I've spent probably the last five years on is really helping people to expand what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I don't think it's necessarily a for-profit endeavor, although that's the most traditional use of the term. Um, But I think it's also really looking at people who, whether they want to write a book or film a documentary or start, uh, you know, uh, to be an influencer influencer on some platform, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or whatever, where they have this idea, this concept, this product, this service, and they want to push it out. Mm -hmm. And I include artists in that. Did you ever view yourself as an entrepreneur? You said as an early age with the ice cream Mm -hmm. thing. But did you, when you looked at yourself as an artist, say, I'm an entrepreneur, this is my business?
1: Not when I first started. And I still to this day of people, my, my aunt was the first one that ever said when she introduced me to someone, she said, she's an artist and an entrepreneur. And I was like, wait, I am. <laughs> Cause I didn't put myself in that category. Now I do because other people have told me that I am, but I didn't approach art Thinking, I'm gonna, I don't think anybody approaches art and says, This is a great business choice. Sure. <laughs> but I loved it and it's turned sure. into that. It's evolved into me being an entrepreneur. That's
0: actually a great point that most people don't go into, they don't say, I think I'm gonna be an artist, I'm really gonna scale this thing, yeah. and I'm you know, gonna figure out how to make my millions off of yeah. it. It's usually, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. How can I treat this in such a way that I can make a living, uh, you know, everything that we talked about yeah. earlier. And I can continue to push this thing out that I think I'm supposed to be yeah. creating, the, this, this, this art form. So, Rachel, there's so much risk involved in really taking the entrepreneurial plunge with any product or service. Yeah. I can't, I mean, just the most bankable idea is a risk, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine as an artist saying, yeah, this is it. This is the thing I'm going to base my whole future and career on. And I want you to give the listener some really sort of some wisdom around that. Like, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to prime that pump a little bit by just saying like, launch on the side. Maybe don't quit your day job. Like, what are, what are some things that you would say to that person? Go for it, but mitigate the risk a little bit by,
1: yeah. I, I actually love that advice. I think the romantic answer is to say, just f- quit your, quit your day job and just go for it full in. I did not do that. I did baby steps and I was still doing graphic design. Uh, it was creative enough. Yeah. Um, but I didn't enjoy it enough that I wanted to be trapped in it forever. Yeah. Um, so I love doing art so much that I would still do art after I've done my graphic design projects for the day. And it was a good incentive to get that done in order to give me free time to work on my art. And then it was kind of an organic, uh, it took about a year of the transition from being able to slowly start to be able to turn away graphic design jobs. And my main client that was in Chicago, he was happy for me, but he was also, it was bittersweet when I was like, I I don't have time to take on any more graphic design work. Um, so, but that took about a year of doing both and, be prepared to work it like a night job <laughs> yeah. or a morning job, and um, if you're, do, make sure your day job isn't sucking so much life out of you that it doesn't leave you um, with room to work on your passion.
0: So even into. if maybe, so maybe if it it's means it's finding a different day job, but, yeah,
1: and and but it's a means to an end. That's okay, and you maybe don't love it so much that you'll be stuck in it, yeah, forever because that can be tempting. As well, yeah. Um, I didn't love graphic design enough that it would be tempting to keep me away from doing what I loved. So
0: that's, I think that's really good advice. And uh, you know, it you do have to leave room because you often hear people saying, "I'm I'm spent. Mm-hmm. There's no room for anything else." And it's like, well, don't quit that job. Yeah, go find another replacement for the spent job. Yes, so that you can free yourself up. But don't don't get rid of your income. Exactly, you're going to force something that you might not be ready for. You're not yeah. really actually in some ways, not giving your creative endeavor or venture the best shot.
1: 100%.
0: And I think people think the opposite. If I just quit and go yeah. for it and then they're depressed and sad and they haven't even yeah. seven days.
1: And people get weird when you're in survival mode. Um, if you, <laughs> yes. you don't create your best work when you're in survival no. mode, you're in, when you are not thriving, when all of your basic needs are not being met and even having freedom to play and go out to eat with your friends. Yeah. If you're, if I'm not able to do that, I'm not going to be creating good work and I'm not creative. So I'm maybe there are some artists that work best that way. Um, but I think that's also a lie that's been painted. Um, that you have to be a starving artist to, to begin with or else you're not a real
0: artist. Right. And right. I, I like, that's why I love your story so much because I think it, it fuels people in a different way from a different point of view and it says you can do this in a way Mm -hmm. you legitimize both the art and you legitimize art as a as an entrepreneurial platform. And I think it it has room for that. And there's plenty of art that doesn't need to be paid for or turned into a business. And there's plenty of things I'm sure you create that we will never see. We'll never it will never exist on a website or a wall. Mm -hmm. It's just for you and it's private. And that has great value too but we're talking specifically about how do artists thrive as business people so that they can continue to do their art um what about so you talked about maybe one day of every week you're really focused on the art and then the other days you're doing more the businessy things mm-hmm. how do you do do you have any time blocking tips or how do you sort of create Um, the headspace where you can be more about tasks and business and more about the art. Yeah. Um, I have learned to be intentional about scheduling
1: my week in that way. And I will block out studio time. Um, and that's non-negotiable. I'm in my studio and I, even if something comes up last minute, I say no to it because that is precious sacred time that I'm just creating art. Um, and then I also know started to learn after doing four hours of admin work, I'm probably not going to be at my peak Mm. creatively. So not scheduling. If I have a commission that needs to be made, not scheduling that right after a block of time where I know I'm going to be doing my accounting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds sad to anybody. knowing,
1: Knowing myself and, and the, and structure my week in a way that's conducive for both. And also if I schedule admin time, I don't get cranky Um, that I have to do that and that's not cutting into painting time. If I have it scheduled and I know, all right, this is reality. Today you're going to be at your computer doing admin work and it's scheduled, I'm okay with it. But if it pops up, yeah. In the middle of a creative day. That's when I get really it's agitated. good.
0: <laughs> How long did it take you to figure out that rhythm for yourself? Uh, just this last year. Okay. It, it's, so four years, three years Yeah, and a half it took me a something. while, and I actually listened to a book. I can
1: look it up and okay, tell you. Yeah. But it was okay. an author that... Um, really encourage creating routines um, mm-hmm. and as a creative and having so much freedom. I don't have a boss. I don't have anybody checking in with me and making sure I'm at the studio at 9am. Sure. Um, so creating kind of a framework for my day. Um, and I can be negotiable <laughs> on that, but just having an overall framework that I exist within has helped
0: me out so much. Yeah. And I would think that it would, even on the days where you're um, or in the in the seasons where you're feeling like um, things aren't going as you had hoped, it's not because mm-hmm. you didn't do the things you were supposed to do, or create a regimen, or take yeah. take your your work seriously. I think sometimes yeah. you can be left to our own devices. We can be like, oh, I'm gonna. So what that August, nothing much got done in August. And then in September, we're like, what, what happened? How did everything dry up? So it, it, it creates that opportunity. Absolutely. Um, so you have this amazing, beautiful studio that we're in and there are other creatives that, um, work out of here, but it's really your space. Mm Um, most people would walk into it and say, yeah, if I had a space like this, I'd be creative too, but Mm -hmm. this is a new space for you. So how long did it take you before you could afford something like this? And where were you working before?
1: (laughs) I worked, uh, wherever I could. And whenever I hear people say, Oh, if I, I just had a garage or if I had, you know, a big open space to create, um, reality is if you want to create badly enough, you will find space to do Mm -hmm. it. I'm not saying it's easy, but at one point I was sharing a studio apartment with Jed Boshma, um, Mm -hmm. of Boshma jewelry. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, she was doing her jewelry and I was doing my art in a little cabin. It was probably 500 square feet. And it was now looking back, it's funny, but at the time it was, it was awful (laughs) (laughs) and it's amazing. We're still able to remain friends after that experience, but we were, we were still doing it and we made it, we made it work. And I think, being in that situation helps me. I do not take the studio for granted. There's not a day that goes by because I know what it's like to be painting on the kitchen
0: floor in a with a space with new air conditioning. So yeah. so, so the advice really is work wherever. Wherever. Just yep. create that stuff. And honestly, the creation of that stuff hopefully hopefully will lead to being able to pay for the studio that, it, that you really yep. want and need. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about you as a business person and an artist, we've talked about some real specific stuff around that. I'm excited for other artists to hear this because I think you've given, again, a different lens for us to look through as an mm-hmm. artist. Can you just back up a little bit and tell us what would you have liked to, what what is it that you wish you would have known looking back that would have sped up kind of from A to B um, and maybe that is advice that somebody listening could be like, okay, I'm going to take Jen's advice. I don't yeah. need to learn the hard way. Is there anything?
1: Um, I wish that I would have started this earlier. Cause I think mm. for so long I'd have had it built up in mind. Like, Oh, this is gonna be my preview collection and you only get one shot at this or else mm-hmm. you're going to not make it as an artist. And the reality is, um, you, you can mess up. You, I've created really mm. bad art that nobody wanted that I, I didn't even want, I would <laughs> hanging hang my home and it's okay. Um, the important part is just making art and, or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you're just starting you're or just, just starting yeah. and doing it and leave room for mistakes. And it's not the end of the world. If your whole collection
0: yeah.
1: is, is not well received, it's okay. It, Pick but you won't know. You actually you know. won't even
0: know until no. you start that. The build
1: up can be so scary. I think when you're starting yeah. any new venture of like, this is my one shot this is all I've gotten. That's not, that's not true. Yeah. It's not
0: the reality. And <laughs> yeah. you have to allow for the mistakes so that you can get to the gems. Like it's just as part of the process. You shouldn't try and eliminate that. Yeah. I, no matter if it's a creative endeavor or otherwise, I think it's just part of life. Yeah. Um, I've said this before in one of the podcasts, but the gal who was the founder of Spanx, her dad used mm-hmm. to ask her every day after school, um, what she failed at, I love that. And I love that because I think it's just like if you didn't then you didn't try yeah. and that's the real shame the the, the sin is in not trying I love not that. in failing and I think if more of us took not only understood that because it's necessarily it's necessary in order to get to whatever victory we need but it's actually necessary you ha- you have to go through that it's part of the process and yeah. You know, I've there's. I feel like a million quotes around that. You know, show me an a, a successful entrepreneur, and I'll show you. You know, ten thousand stories yeah. of of failures, those kinds of things. Um, and I I love that you're saying that even as an artist. Like, start painting, mm-hmm. start drawing, start molding clay, start macraméing, yeah. whatever it is you do, start it, and and let let the process refine you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. It was so Thank fun you. to talk with you and hang out, Rachel. <laughs> Oh yeah, I almost forgot. I was getting so dreamy and like oh that was such a good rabbit. Quote face. We have our we have our yeah, I know quote phase. I love quotes. I um too. so we have this thing, our quick six. So uh-huh. it's, this is just fun. Okay. Silly. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you a quick question, you mm-hmm. just answer me. Um nine to five or flex schedule? Flux. Do you prefer to vacation in the mountains or the beach? Beach with mountains in the background, okay. So you're, you're the uh, would you rather work from home or office um office slash studio okay would you or do you prefer working alone or with a team
1: I like working on my art alone but I like being surrounded with other creatives in the studio okay. so even if we're not talking while we're working it's still nice to have like the energy thing, like, of the room and, and the energy of a creative person around. do
0: you yeah. use other people in the space to influence like your work or have them influence your work? Like what's your opinion or.
1: I I do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, when I'm in the zone, I just like, I kind of check out and go in there, but it is nice to bounce off I mean, especially like Jen, I love her. esthetic I'm like, would you, would you put this in your house? Do you like this? Or I'll ask her opinion
0: on what she's into or what she's looking for right now for projects. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. Thai or Mexican food? Thai. Yeah. I know it's an easy one for me too. It's hard living in California, though. We've got good Mexican yeah, yeah. food. And then um, the name of the podcast is Liberty Sessions, mm-hmm. and it's because we hope to liberate women through entrepreneurship and, um, and that expanded version of entrepreneurship that I yeah. talked about earlier. What does it mean for you to be liberated? Um, getting
1: to do what I love on my own terms and own schedule and getting to travel and spend time with family and friends on my own schedule.
0: That's a good one. And then she dropped the mic. And that was it. <laughs> Rachel, thanks again. It was great Thank to be with you. you and thanks for opening the studio. Uh, it's so fun to come to, to be in this. Time. I will. I may come back with a brush. I, oh, I got inspired come on. to paint. Come on. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty for Her. Liberty is spelled L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Wyndham, and music by Jordan Flower. And just remember, there is life after the top knot as evidenced here. See you next week.